0: Uh, take your Bible if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter nine. Ecclesiastes chapter nine. Now, can somebody tell me, just by way of reference, uh, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Might tell me Solomon, wisest man to ever live aside from Jesus Christ. Now, tell me this: if he's so wise, why is it that he did? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, turn your Bible and look at verse number 10. If he's so wise, why would he do this? And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them, I withheld not my heart from any, any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked, on all the works that my hands had wrought, and the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. You know what he did? The wisest man to ever live was so disappointed with life that he was ready. He was suicidal. He said a little bit later in that chapter, therefore, I hated life. He was just miserable. Well, you'll notice he writes Ecclesiastes 9. And I want you to notice, if you have your Bible, notice if you would, in verse 1. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. Now, notice, if you would, in the outline, Rome number 1, all of our lives and works are in God's hands. We don't know what the future holds. Now, you know, that is sort of a common statement that we ought to all know uh, but a lot of people don't realize that you're in the hand of God. If you're God's child, you're in his hand. The Bible says in John chapter 10, uh, in verse 28, 29, he said, I'm in my, my, I'm in the, I'm in my father's uh, hand and, and Jesus Christ's hand, and, and, uh, and, it's, and it's together so that we're one. I'm with the Lord. Jesus said, he, I and my father are one. And you and I are in the hand of God. And notice if you would in this passage, he says, A, uh, in the outline, a, a Solomon thought about how every righteous man's works are in God's hands. We can do nothing without him. So, do you realize tonight that every work that you do, you're in God's hand? Do you realize that uh, you can do nothing without God's help? We're breathing his air. Um, we just had a, today, uh, Mrs. Uh, Christina, uh, excuse me, Christine Clark's brother had a heart attack today. They've given him 24 hours to live. Now, let me explain this to you. She's trying to fly out there, but nobody knows what tomorrow is. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And everybody in this room, I remember playing basketball as a teenage boy out in the back. uh, I I was in an apartment complex, and we were playing basketball, and and all of a sudden this kid falls down, and he had a heart attack. And They called 911. They came out, tried to revive him. They did. But here's a 16-year-old, 18-year-old kid (coughs) passing out, heart attack. You're in the hand of God, whether you know it or not your life is in his hands. And if you and I don't live it for him, if we're not trying to do the right thing, we're on borrowed time because boast not thyself of tomorrow. And he specifically says, you know, you and I, our life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away in James. So it's for you and I to understand that we're in the hand of God. You take what God's given you Everybody in this room has got the same amount of one thing, time. And so you might say, well, he's done more. He's, He's worked harder at this or that. We all have the same number of hours in a day, 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. Everybody's got the same thing. Nobody gets an extra second And it's in the hand of God. So you and I can look at it and say, Lord, help me to redeem the time. Help me to use the time the way you want. Notice, if you would, be in the outline. The godly man doesn't know when the blessings or disappointments are going to come from God. We don't know when those times are going to happen. We don't know when it's going to be a a, a day of blessing or a day of discouragement. Notice, if you would, he says in verse number in the same verse number one, notice what he says in the last part of it. We are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. We don't know whenever God's going to shower his love upon us. And and of course, now you got to realize the writer here is greatly discouraged. So he thinks God sort of hates him from time to time. And so God is giving, sends disappointments to our life, but it's always to build us. It's always to make us better. God loves us. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with whom no variable shadoweth of turning. So in James chapter 1, he says, look, everything that I give to you that's good, it comes from me. Satan doesn't give us good things. He gives us things that, that wreck us. They may be things we want but they're not good things for us. And so you'll notice here in in the outline, look at uh, Roman numeral two, one event happens to all. Notice Ecclesiastes chapter two, uh, chapter nine, verse two. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth, and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. You know what he's saying? Notice verse 3. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun that there is one event happeneth to them all. You know what he's saying? It doesn't matter if you're good or you're bad. It doesn't matter if you sacrifice, you don't sacrifice. One event happens to all of us. What is it? Well, let's keep reading. Yea, also the heart of the sons of man is full of evil, <clears throat> And madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. You see, Solomon is so fatalistic. He's discouraged with life. He's disappointed with life. And so he says, look, everybody dies. And it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It does matter. But he doesn't see it. Because in chapter 2, there's 20 times he says, I, 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 I. He was very selfish. And so he only could see what he didn't get. And that was he didn't get what he wanted, but he got death. And everybody gets death. So very fatalistic. Notice if you would, A in the outline, Godly or ungodly, clean or unclean, must all face death. Now, look here. I don't know about you, but when you try to do what's right and death begins to come, you can be like Paul. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Henceforth, there's laid for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. You're ready. You're excited about seeing the Lord. But if you don't live right, 1 John chapter 2 says, when we see him, we we'll would be ashamed. I mean, he wears our scars. And so here uh, in Ecclesiastes, this wisest man to ever live says, look, it's a terrible thing. Doesn't matter how you live, what happens, you're going to die. And the, the fact of the matter is, yes, because notice if you would in the outline, uh, B. Death happens to all men because all are sinners. I mean, we've earned it. The Bible says in Romans chapter six, verse twenty-three, for all of sin to come. You know that that we all have sin against the Lord. For the wages of sin is death. So all of us have to suffer death because for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Romans three. He's trying to let us understand we have earned death, but between birth and death, God has a lot of things for us to do. He's got a plan for everybody in this room. He wants to bless you, but you can't look at it and say, well, I hate the Lord for the disappointments in my life. I I can remember playing, uh, running track in high school, and they ran the half mile, and the coach would stand over at the end of the uh, the half mile, and and he would, two laps around, and he would stand there with his clock. And we'd run two laps. Get done, you're exhausted. He said, Okay, walk one lap. You'd walk one lap. You got, and I'll forget how much time he gave us, you got the other side. Okay, again. And I'm telling you, by the time track practice is over, I was exhausted. But I noticed that by the time the end of the season got there, it wasn't just two or three times would exhaust me. It would take five or six. And I said, hey, this is working. I mean, putting stress on me, making me do things that I don't like can have a good effect. I was Coaching in Chicago, and, and we had never won a state championship, and, and we had a good team. And so I said, Look, guys, uh, we kept getting beat in the fourth quarter, so we're not going to get beat in the fourth quarter this year. We're not. No, what are we going to do? We're going to run, we're going to outrun them. And so we did wind sprints back and forth, and they would say, How many of these want to do, coach, till I get tired and tired of watching? And they're going back and forth. Of course, I was teasing with them. And they're running back and forth. And and they got to where they would run 8 or 10, 50-yard, 100-yard wind sprints, back and forth. Coach, when are you going to let us stop? We're not going to lose in the fourth quarter. Boy, Coach, this is too much. State championship game, 90 minutes. 85 minutes is 0-0. In five minutes, they scored five goals. You want to know why? The other team ran out of gas at the 85th minute. And they came up, jumped on me and said, you were right, coach, it worked. You know, one of these days, we're going to look at the Lord and say, Lord, you were right. The strain you put me under made me stronger. Lord, what you did for me worked. But Solomon said, he hates me. The Lord loves you. He's trying to do what's best for you. Uh, You have little children, and they're trying to walk. And you put your hand out. They're walking for the first time. As long as they hold your hand, they'll walk. But the second they let your hand go, you'll notice if they sit down. They don't quite have the courage to do. But you keep pulling that hand along, and they start walking. Pretty soon they start walking. You pull your hand away, and they can walk. They didn't know they could do it. And God does that with all of us in this room. You don't know how good you can be. You don't know how strong you can be. You don't know how you can look sin in the eye and say, I just can't do that because I want to please the Lord. But it takes time for you to practice saying no, no, no. And then yes to the Lord. And we learn to say, Lord, I love you more than this. And we get stronger. Well, notice if you would in the outline, uh, see Solomon longed for life. He wanted to live with all of his heart. He was not necessarily concerned about being pleasing to the Lord. He just wanted to live. As long as one is alive, there is hope. Look at Ecclesiastes 9, 4. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. But notice what he says. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I'm not so sure sometimes. I'd rather be free and dead than I would be a slave and alive. I'd rather fight and have someone else behind me be able to benefit from the sacrifice that I made. And others have done that. If you've been to Arlington Cemetery You've seen the sacrifice that people have made for all of us in this room. And you'll notice here, he says, oh, I'd rather be alive. To him that is joined to the living, there's hope. As long as I'm alive, I've got hope. But you and I have to understand that living right is different than being alive. And notice, if you were in the outline, D, we all know we're going to die. But in death, there's no more knowledge. In death, one is soon forgotten. And there's no more chance to earn rewards by living for Christ. Look in chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. When we're dead, we're we're with the Lord, but we don't know anything new that we can do for the Lord. Notice what he says. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Over time, generation after generation, people are forgotten. This bothered Solomon as much as many things did. He wanted to be remembered. He wanted to be known. He wanted to be famous. He wanted to be rich. He wanted to be happy. And he didn't like the fact that everybody died. But he knew everybody was a sinner. So you can see here as he's writing Scripture, he's kind of burying his heart. uh, But he's given us food for thought as we look into his life. We could be just like that if we get selfish. We could be short-sighted if we got selfish, and we will be. Notice, if you would, in verse number 6, also their love and their hatred and their envy has now perished. Everything about man, good and bad, is gone. Neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. One second past death, you can do nothing else to please the Lord. You can't lay up any more treasure in heaven. So you know what we, we ought to take from this? Look, while I have time, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do things for the Lord. I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven. Notice, if you would, in verse number seven, go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. And notice in the outline, Rome number three, we should enjoy life. He, He is true here. We ought to enjoy life. If life is difficult, look here, this facial countenance, Makes an eternal difference in the testimony everybody has, and all of us in this room you have you have to look at life and no matter what comes, live with joy. Notice if you would in verse number eight, let thy garments be always white uh, it, it's a sign of rejoicing uh, you want you want to be white and let thy head light no ointment. the idea was was, uh, if you remember uh, the, the psalmist uh, David said, uh, anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Uh, a, a, a lamb would be anointed with oil to prevent uh, the flies and things like that. It was a, it was a protection. So he says, look, uh, let my garments be white and Lord anoint me, keep me protected. Well, notice if you would in verse number nine, live joyfully with the wife of thy youth, whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Well, there is joy when you're doing what's right. The Bible says, we looked at Sunday night in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. If you obey the Lord, there's joy in obedience. All of us remember that. There's joy in obedience. There's sadness and disappointment and disobedience. Just, we, do, we displease people around us, but most of all, we displease the Lord. Notice if you would, A in the outline, Roman numeral 3, we should live life with a joyful spirit. God accepts the joyful in heart. The Lord wants you to represent Him well. You know, the the Bible says you'll know my disciples by their love one for another, by the love and joy that's in their heart. Uh, We're to be joyful people. Look, folks, one second past death, you and I are in heaven with the Lord forever. We we have got the end won. But between now and then, let's live like we've got the victory won. Live in victory. So because I know I'm going to see the Lord and I want to please him, I know I've got a home in heaven and I'm going to live right. Don't take advantage of it. In Romans chapter 6, he says, look, because I'm saved, I'm not going to take advantage of it and live the way I want. There are some Christians that do that. I'm safe, so I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not what a Christian that loves the Lord does. Not notice, if you would, in, in the outline. Uh, two, we must focus consistently on joyfulness. It's what God wants for us. Our futures are secure in Him. Look at verse 9 as we continue to read it. Which He hath given us, we have given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life. And in thy labor, which thou takest under the sun. Wherefore, notice, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do it, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thou goest. In other words, until the Lord calls you home, let's labor for Him. Let's do the right thing. Let's live with a joyful life. Folks, if you understand that the Lord loves you, He loves me, He wants us to be happy in this life. Now, I can be happy even though I'm going through some stress and difficulty, <clears throat> as long as I know my Heavenly Father is with me. He is guiding me through step by step. Yes, it's difficult. But the Lord says, I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. If you and I can just get that in our minds, that no matter where I go, you know, Psalm 139 said, if I... If I were to make my bed in hell, thou art there. He's trying to get you and I to understand. There's no place you can go. Jonah found that out. There's no place you and I can go without the presence of God watching out for us if we're doing the right thing. He said, I'll never leave you. So you and I have to learn. I want to take day by day, hour by hour, to do the right thing so that my heavenly Father is pleased with me. Notice what He says. <clears throat> he said, "Remember, whatsoever thy hand findeth, do it do with all thy might." He's giving all of us a challenge: teenagers, adults, moms, dads. Do everything you do with all your heart. He said that in Colossians. I put it in the notes here. Notice if you would uh, in in uh, see in the outline. Do everything you do with all your heart. When death comes, the opportunity to do right is gone. We're gonna look at that in just a minute. Notice, if you would, two, this is A2, uh, that we must focus consistently on joyfulness. If you don't plan to be happy, you won't be. If you don't focus on, I'm going to enjoy today, you won't. Because Satan will sit on your shoulder and say, look what went wrong. Look at this. The Lord doesn't love you. You're by yourself. And the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit says, look, I'll never leave you. Look, I'll guide you into all truth. I love you. You and I must learn I'm going to focus on being joyful. If we do that, the Lord will give us a cheerfulness in our heart that can't be removed. How is it that Paul and Silas in Acts were beaten, cast into prison, and at midnight, what did they do? They sang. There's a joyfulness that God wants us to have. And I want you to notice that joyfulness bears fruit. Notice in the, in the outline, uh, in number two, it says, uh, we must focus consistently on joyfulness. It is what God wants for us. Our futures are secure. You and I have nothing to worry about. The Lord says, I've got you for tomorrow. Uh, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Tomorrow will take care of itself. If you put me first, I'll see to it. We have to learn to say, Lord, my life is in your hands. I want to live joyfully. And he'll give you the strength to look at things through the eyes of of rose-colored glasses, through the blood of Christ. I know Christ loves me, and it's going to work out. I'm going to trust him. Now, notice with me, if you would, three, joyfulness is a great testimony to others. If you go back to Acts again, Paul and Silas. Now, Now, folks, listen. All of us have difficulties. How you handle it determines your testimony. It determines how you're going to make a difference. When, my, when Susan, my first wife, was dying, the doctor came to me and said, I don't understand about your wife. She's the one that's very near death, and she's concerned about us. There's a spirit she's got. What is that? Do you know what kind of testimony that is? All of us can have that. But you can't look at what you don't have. You have to look at what you do have. And Solomon is right in one thing. I have today, and I'm going to make it count. I'm not going to look at what I don't have tomorrow. Look, that's why he said in Proverbs, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Live one day at a time, Live it with all of your might. Live it because you love the Lord and say, I'm going to be happy today. I'm going to have joy today. Now, I wish I could tell you I did that every day. I don't. But I need to do that. It makes life so much more enjoyable. The old devil wants you to get discouraged, disappointed, disillusioned, That's why people commit suicide. I've been to funerals where uh, young people have committed suicide at 16, 17 years old. Why? The old devil said a what's the use? And the Lord is saying, no, I've got great plans for you. Today, live one day at a time, each day for the Lord, with all of your heart. Notice, if you would, be in the outline, always do right and allow God to anoint us against Satan's disappointments. We just read that. Verse 8. Now notice if you would see in the outline. Do everything you do with all your heart. When death comes, the opportunity to do right is gone. Folks, every one of us in this room that have trusted Christ as Savior are going to see the Lord in heaven. Don't you want to be proud of you? Sure then make today count. Don't be like Solomon. Yeah, everybody's going to die. Sure, but there's a lot of people in this room, we haven't had a death in our church in a long time. So that doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. So let's live every day for the Lord's sake. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, everybody has one. We've all got an appointment with the Lord. But let's live with joy while he's given us time and make it count. Notice, if you would, D in the outline. And this is probably, this is the verse that I read tonight and ask you if you knew where it was. Notice verse 11. I returned. Well, I, I kind of sat down and thought through it and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Now he's coming to reality, to spiritual reality. The race is not to the swift, I thought it was. Nor the battle to the strong, I thought it was. <clears throat> Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding. Well, I've got all that. But time and chance happeneth to them all. The Lord has got a plan for everybody in this room to have opportunities to make an eternal difference. He's got it planned for everybody in this room to have an opportunity. To do what is right. Oh, sure. The old devil says, Well, now here's my chance to get him to do wrong. But God says, Time and chance happeneth to us all. You can make a great difference in a friend's eye, in, in a neighbor's eye, in, in a co worker's thoughts, if you do what's right when the opportunity comes. You know, Satan wants you to waste every opportunity. That's the reason the Lord said, redeem the time in Ephesians, because the Lord is pleading for us to use every minute wisely for the Lord's sake, and Satan is saying, hey, do what you want to do, and you can waste it. Notice, if you would, in the outline. One, excuse me, D, opportunity to do right and make a difference happens to everyone. We just don't know when the opportunity will come. We have to be ready. If you're doing what's right and you're in the will of God, when the opportunity comes, you'll pass. God says, I'll help you. Life is that simple. Do what is right. The Lord will lay an opportunity in your life to be a witness, to be a testimony, to pass out a track, to have joy in your heart. If you're living a joyful Christian life, you're going to make an eternal difference. Everybody in this room, you can't let a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, or family member turn you to where what's the use? Or to get older and sadder. Look, the older we get, the closer we are to heaven. How can that not make you joyful? Now notice if you would in the outline. 1 we don't know when the chance to be snared by Satan will come. Yes, we have an opportunity to do what's right and make a difference, but we also have with that opportunity to, an opportunity to get snared by the old devil. Notice if you would verse 12. For man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes that are taken in an evil net, a fish that don't want to go to get caught. As the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. If you're doing what's right and you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart, there's not going to be a snare to catch you because God sees to it. He gives you spiritual eyes and you see it and you can avoid the temptation. There's no temptation taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it? That is a promise of God. If you're doing what's right, you can escape the snare that Solomon is talking about in verse 12. Where everybody else gets caught, you don't have to. You can have the joy of the Lord. Notice if you would. Two, we also don't know when the opportunity to use the wisdom of God to save a city will come. We must be consistently doing right, and we will take advantage of every opportunity that God gives us. And he gives a story about a wise man here. Uh, You'll notice, if you would, verse number 14, there was a little city and few men within it. There came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. You see, Solomon wanted credit for it. The Christian says, Lord, just help me to consistently do what's right, and you get the credit. And that gives the joy to a Christian. If you're living for yourself, you want the credit. And sadness is going to follow you everywhere. Because Satan won't let you have the credit. Notice, if you would, in the outline, E. Let's all of us as God's children pray for wisdom and stay in God's will. Then we'll be able to enjoy the opportunities of God. We must focus on being joyful. Tonight, if you're going to live a joyful life, you have to focus on saying, Lord, help me to be in the center of your will and enjoy it because you are with me. Tonight, if I could tell you a rich man asked me to follow you around and provide your every need. Not more than you need, but provide every need you had. And all of a sudden you had a need and I pulled out a checkbook and got it. Over a period of a year, you would say, well, my life is on easy street because this rich man is taking care of me. And you begin to trust in the wealth of that riches. The Lord says, I want you to trust in me. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing I can't do. If I send difficulty your way, it's to make you stronger. And let's learn to sing. I often wondered what the song was that Paul and Silas sang in that prison that caused that jailer to get out of his sleep and fall down and say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It must have been a great song. I don't know that it was saying that well, but it was a great song because it touched the heart of that jailer. And everybody in this room can touch the heart of people around you, but you have to seize the opportunity. I'm going to do what's right today. Don't let anybody stop you from having the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's bow word of prayer Ask the penis to come and play a verse of invitation hymn. And maybe you need to come to the altar tonight and just say, Lord, I've kind of lost my joy. Lord, I'm struggling with joy. Maybe you're facing some difficulties. Maybe a friend has hurt your feelings. Or maybe uh, uh, you're struggling with some relationship. Could I encourage you to come to this altar and say, Lord, I know you'll never let me down. And strengthen yourself in him. As David did. When he lost his family, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts tonight. In your name we pray. Amen.